The sermon text for today is Isaiah chapter 65, verses 1 through 9. Normally, I read from the New International Version, which is the translation of the Bible that's in the pews there. Today, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, uh, because I think it does a better job of getting the idea across. Um, It's always good to have a variety of translations at your disposal, and any Bible app that you have on your phone or other device will have lots of translations available. Um, And it's good to compare them, because sometimes some of them are a little bit clearer than others. Uh, but that's, that's where we're going to be looking today in the New Living Translation, Isaiah 65, verses 1 through 9. Isaiah writes these words. The Lord says, I was ready to respond, but no one asked for help. I was ready to be found, but no one was looking for me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that did not call on my name. All day long, I opened my arms to a rebellious people. But they follow their own evil paths and their own crooked schemes. All day long, they insult me to my face by worshiping idols in their sacred gardens. They burn incense on pagan altars. At night they go out among the graves, worshipping the dead. They eat the flesh of pigs and make stews with other forbidden animals. Yet they say to each other, Yet they say to each other, Don't come too close or you will defile me. I am holier than you. These people are a stench in my nostrils, an acrid smell that never goes away. Look, my decree is written out in front of me. I will not stand silent. I will repay them in full. Yes, I will repay them, both for their own sins and for those of their ancestors, says the Lord. For they also burned incense on the mountains and insulted me on the hills. I will pay them back in full. But I will not destroy them all, says the Lord. For just as good grapes are found among a cluster of bad ones, and someone will say, don't throw them all away, some of those grapes are good. So I will not destroy all. All Israel, for I still have true servants there. I will preserve a remnant of the people of Israel and of Judah to possess my land. Those I choose will inherit it, and my servants will live there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks and praise this day. For you are the one who shows justice and mercy in equal proportion. We give you thanks that you are God, that you are Lord, and that you are high and lifted up. We give you thanks that all are welcome at your feet, and that we can come as we are to learn from you and from your wisdom. 
Bless us in this time of reflection. And may you speak clearly to our hearts this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The wisdom of God is deeply connected to the character of God. If we want to know something of the wisdom of God, then we need to think carefully about the character of God. For it is in the expression of God's character that his wisdom is revealed. We can see this on a human level, of course. It's a good analogy to think about how God functions. People who are truly wise in this world are those who are of good character too. If a person lacks integrity or humility or righteousness or honesty or a good work ethic or self-respect or respect for others, or if they lack any other trait that might make for good character, then that person will not have wisdom that is worth listening to. Character matters. The people with the greatest wisdom are the people with the strongest character. Part of the path of learning wisdom is watching people of character, observing how they live, learning from their example, and striving to emulate the best qualities that they represent. Now, if we're interested to pursue the wisdom of God, then we should pay attention to the character of God. And what's nice about this arrangement is that God doesn't have any character shortfalls that all of us have. And so his wisdom doesn't have any of those shortfalls either. God is not just a rule-making, obedience-demanding, judgment-wielding God who requires people to live a certain way or else they get punished forever. No, God is deeply invested in this universe. God is personally involved. God reveals himself. God makes himself known. God leads by example. We see this most perfectly, of course, in the life and ministry of Jesus. As Tara read for us from Luke chapter 8, where Jesus healed a man who was possessed by a demon, or by many demons. Jesus shows compassion, concern, and empathy for this man who was secluded from the rest of his life. The the troubles inside his spirit made him live apart from the rest of society. And Jesus shows who he truly is, who Jesus truly is. The Son of the Most High God. The one who is more powerful than even a legion of evil spirits. He brings healing to this man and then sends him back home with a mission, with a purpose to accomplish, to be a missionary, to tell others how much God has done for him. The wisdom of Jesus is revealed not just in the words that he speaks, but in the demonstration of his character. In the same way, God's wisdom is revealed not just in the words that he speaks in Isaiah 65, but in the character that is demonstrated in this passage from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. 
Now, Isaiah is a very long book of prophecy, and this passage comes from the, the tail end of it, the next to last chapter of this really long and complicated book. Isaiah, the book, is all about trying to find God in the midst of real world problems, uh, trying to understand where God is in the midst of life's situations, broadly speaking. Isaiah, the prophet, lived in Judah in the time of the rise of the kingdom of Babylon. Babylon were the big bad guys that came in and destroyed and conquered Judah. And Isaiah lived sort of at that time. And uh, he lived at the time of the intensification of this crisis, where Babylon's army was approaching and they were taking over land after land, city after city, and there was no end in sight. They were threatening to take over the entire Mediterranean world. And eventually they came to Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah, and surrounded it, um, laid siege to the city for a number of years, basically starved the people out, and finally conquered the city and leveled the temple and the walls, took the people off into exile. And one of the big questions that Isaiah asks, like many of the other prophets, is where was God in the midst of this? Where is God in the midst of our turmoil and hardship? Why was God being so silent and unresponsive to the cries of the people? Now the book of Isaiah concludes with a long monologue from God's voice. And it starts here in chapter 65 with the words that we've read today. The last two chapters are God responding to all of these and that's the last word that Isaiah has for us. Isaiah declares that in the midst of hardship, God does respond. God is present. And God's message interweaves the themes of judgment and hope. God calls the people out for their spiritual waywardness, and God paints a picture of a future where God will make things right. But God is not just speaking words of judgment and hope from a far removed position of authority. God enters into the story. He shows us who he is and he shows us what his character is like. The verses that we've read today, verses 1 through 9, are largely about judgment. And when you read them, you're left with a kind of a bitter taste in your mouth. God is going to repay the people for what they have done. And there's, there's reason for that bitterness of taste. When we think about judgment and what that must require of God's character, we usually picture God being very angry and wrathful, smiting people who disobey him without mercy. But take another look at how God describes himself in the midst of saying words of judgment. He says, I was ready to respond. I was ready to be found. Here I am. Here I am. God is present and ready to be known by his people. This uh, language, here I am, here I am, reminds me of God's encounter with Moses at the burning bush. 
way back in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, where um, God appears to Moses in the form of this bush that's on fire but does not get consumed by the fire. And he's calling Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses says, well, who should I tell the Israelites has sent me? Because I can't just do this on my own. And God introduces himself to Moses by saying, I am who I am, or I am what I am, or I am that I am. The idea of God as the I am comes from that self-revelation that God makes to Moses. And it's very much related to what Isaiah records God saying here. I would told the people, here I am. Here I am. Isaiah says, all day long, I have opened my arms. This is a posture of invitation. A posture of welcome and hospitality. The arms of God are not closed, folded. Uh, with a different kind of posture. The arms of God are not even tied behind his back. His arms are open. His arms aren't full of other things, busy with carrying the groceries inside the house, or carrying the child on the arm, or occupied with objects or tools. No, the arms of God are open. All day long, in a gesture of beckoning, welcoming, inviting all people to enter into his embrace. And it means all people, not just the good ones who are already searching for God, listening for God's voice. God welcomes everyone into his presence, even those who do not call on his name. His arms are open to all, even to rebellious people, even to those who insult God to his face, even people who are hypocrites who pretend to live good and holy lives, but actually live unholy lives by showing prejudice against other people who are somehow more unholy than they are. Stay away from me, for I am holier than you. We get the phrase holier than thou from right here, where God is calling out the people who would live that kind of way. God reaches out to them too. God reaches out to all people. This is the character of God. God is generous and patient and loving, even when people rebel against him. God is righteously indignant when people live hypocritical lives. God will repay people who persist in their rebellion and who follow their own evil paths. But God will not destroy them all. God will preserve a remnant of people who are faithful and righteous, willing to listen to him, willing to follow his example. The wisdom of God's judgment is revealed through his character. The wisdom of God's judgment is that God is always ready to respond, always ready to be found, always calling out, here I am, and opening his arms. The wisdom of God's judgment is that judgment can never be separated from mercy, and that mercy can never be separated from judgment. God offers divine hospitality to all people and waits for them to respond. In this is deep wisdom, because this describes the character of God perfectly.
pursuing the wisdom of God is not a one-time event. It's not something that we can conquer in one sermon or even in a series of sermons like we're trying to do in this season. We can't have uh, the satisfaction of knowing that we have somehow conquered the idea of God's wisdom. We can solve it and then move on to something else. No, pursuing God's wisdom requires us to be connected to God over a long period of time. Pursuing God's wisdom requires us to respond favorably to God's invitation, to God's hospitality, to the open arms of the one who says, here I am. Pursuing the wisdom of God requires us to examine ourselves, to consider our posture before God, and to look at the ways in which we are walking, to think about where we find ultimate meaning and value in this world, and to root out and eliminate any hint of hypocrisy in our lives. Pursuing the wisdom of God means taking on the character of God. It means learning to love God and love others and even to love ourselves. All those parts of the two commandments that Jesus highlighted for us, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Two commandments which are really one and the same. A command to love wholeheartedly. These words from Isaiah were written 2,500 years ago or more. But God is still ready to be found. God is still ready to respond. The arms of God are still open. The call to wholeness of life and integrity of connection to God is just as strong today as it was in Isaiah's time. God is ready to respond But who will ask for help? Who will look for God? Who will call on the name of the Lord? Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Look, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. And earlier in Matthew 7, 7, Jesus uses the language of knocking a little bit differently. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, you do the knocking, and the door will be opened to you. So Isaiah asks, who will ask? Who will seek? Who will knock? When we pursue the presence of God... We are actually just imitating God's character because God is the one who pursues us even before we begin pursuing him. So I invite you to pray this week. Not to pray a formulaic laundry list sort of prayer where you list off all the different needs you have and let God know what you want. Uh, I'm inviting you to pray a contemplative kind of prayer. A prayer where you sit with the words of scripture and dwell in the presence of God. With no other agenda in mind, with no other task to accomplish, just to be in the presence of God, to respond to his invitation. Here I am. Here I am. You could, it's important to center this on scripture. So it's, you could take the words of Isaiah here and meditate on them where God says, here I am, here I am, all day long, I have held out my hands. 
Or you could meditate on the words of Jesus from Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be open to you. Take some words of scripture that remind you of the character of God and the willingness of God to be in your midst. The invitation for you to be in God's midst. Take those words and center center yourself in those words for five or ten minutes. It doesn't have to be terribly long. But listen to those words with your whole being. Envision God with his arms outstretched, with his hands held out, offering you divine hospitality. And then respond in love. Examine your life for any sign of hypocrisy or rebellion against God and turn those parts over, those parts of yourself over to God. If you find that to be a meaningful experience, then I'd suggest you make it a regular part of your life. Five or ten minutes every day or every other day or even once a week can really transform your experience of who God is and God's presence with you. Make it a point to encounter God, to listen for God, and to be transformed by God. Not that God is separate from us, saying, you go there, but no, God, to lead you is right with you.